morning. It is morning huddle time. A sense of belonging in a company actually increases job performance by 56%. It's like a lot of times all of that 3D data is there. They've done the work. They've done the engineering. They've done the slopes. They've done all the 3D polylines are already in their file. There's just a huge disconnect between what they do and the builders right now. 13,000 available unfilled construction jobs in this country, 11 million available unfilled jobs overall in this country. One of the great culture things I see in construction is people just get it done. At the end of the day, we've built 100% of the building. There's no 80-20 rule. Think of the technology that has been that has been brought into existence in the last 60 years, and you think of the productivity gains that have, say, occurred in agriculture, which is up 1,750%. Our manufacturing, which is up 400%, and construction is flat to negative. This was always supposed to just be a six-episode mini-series. <laughs> Stacey, I want to remind you of that. All right. Good morning. And well, surprise, you're not Chad Prinky. <laughs> I am not Chad Prinky. Chad is not going to be here today, so you get me. I am Matt Verderamo, and I'm here with Stacy Holsinger, and welcome to another edition of the Morning Huddle. Yeah, welcome, everybody. <clears throat> so Chad is out in the Poconos, I believe, somewhere, right, fishing? At the cabin. That's I don't know exactly where it is. It's kind of this mythical place. It's the cabin. Yeah, the cabin. <laughs> Needed some downtime no internet, no nothing. We gave him a little break here. So, so nice to have you, Matt. <laughs> and you, you, very work, much. you work with Chad. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do with Chad at WellBelt? Sure. So I'm going to answer that question, but I might give you the brief background first too, if that's okay. Yeah. And so basically I'll start at college and then I'll get to Chad and I'll tell a few things in between, but oh, nice. I, I, went, I went to the <laughs> University of Maryland uh, civil engineering degree, and I interned for a general contractor for a couple of summers, large national general contractor. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do when I got out of school and ultimately decided to go into subcontracting. Started out as a project manager and estimator with a subcontractor in Baltimore. Great experience. Ended up working my way up to the vice president of pre-construction and sales at the business. Um, during that time, I got my master's from Purdue in construction management part-time and basically started to fall in love with this whole idea of strategic planning and organizational development. And Chad and I had met and uh, at an ABC event and stayed in touch and sort of went from being colleagues to becoming friends. And he started WellBuilt a couple of years ago, which obviously is totally focused on building strategic plans and helping build construction businesses. So our missions just totally aligned. And uh, he asked me to join the team as a consultant. So that is where I am today. I'm in week eight of working with WellBuilt. And uh, I'm, I'm working with clients, subcontractors and general contractors, helping them be better businesses, have happier clients and happier employees. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've been following you on LinkedIn for probably a couple years now. So I can totally see the alignment between the two of you and your passion for just creating positive change and working with people and building teams. So that's awesome. So we're happy to have you and I'm happy to, that you're filling in today. Um, do you want to talk about who we have on the show? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so today, and should I bring Michael on? Sure. Cool. All right. Let's bring him on. Hey, Michael, how you doing? 
Good morning, Mac. Good morning, Stacey. How you doing? Good. Good. Great to see you. Great to see you. Uh, for everybody that doesn't know, Michael has been on the show before. Mm -hmm. So he has actually been on the show more times than I have been. So <laughs> we got that going for us. He's going to help me survive today. But in general, Michael is a construction attorney that works with subcontractors, general contractors, and developers. Everything from contract negotiation all the way to complex litigation. Obviously, he hopes and we hope that it doesn't get to that point. But uh, yeah, that's the general overview. Michael, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. So like you said, I'm a construction and government contracts attorney here at Seifarth Shaw. I'm uh, based in our, our Washington, D.C. office and, and practice primarily in the Mid-Atlantic, but also uh, throughout the country. Um, like you said, I also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved in, in contract negotiation and drafting uh, for multiple different project delivery methods, design, bid, build. Uh, design, build, um, EPC, um, and, and various others, including MP3 as well. So I've, I've done a lot of complex agreements and, and represent owners, general contracts, subcontractors, um, provide project counseling advice during, uh, during construction projects, any issues that might come up, including change orders to, and delays, uh, different site conditions, the the wide range of issues that come up during a construction project. And then finally, I uh, handle complex litigation arising out of uh, construction. Um, so that could be payment disputes all the way to delay issues to construction defect matters. Which unfortunately happens more often yeah. than any of us would like, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, uh, Michael's been on the show before and we had such a good conversation last time that we wanted to bring him back on. As we said today, you heard all of his expertise and everything that he does. We're really going to focus on going down two different paths here. The first one is can contractors, whether you're a general contractor or subcontractor, actually negotiate your contracts and a little bit on how to do that, what to do, what to look for. The other one is when a project goes off the rails, and you're starting to recognize that as a contractor, what are some of the things to look for? And what are some of the things that you need to be doing to protect yourself when you do? So uh, with that said, I think we can probably jump in and get started. For anyone that's listening and in the chat, we'd love to get you asking questions and uh, interacting with us. Stacy's gonna be hopping off the call and uh, interacting with you guys and She'll be hopping back on at the end to ask any questions that you guys put into the chat. So, Stacy, unless you have anything else, uh, let's have a great conversation in the chat and we can get started. All right. Sounds good. See you guys soon. Cool. Thanks, Stacy. All right. So let's jump in. I'm ready. <laughs> I think I think this is a funny question because it's 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 so obvious, but it's worth talking about because not everybody does it. And it's should contractors, again, whether general contractors or subcontractors, be negotiating their contracts? And if so, how do they do it? What should they be doing? Yeah, so the, the, the simple answer to that is yes, absolutely. Um, Good. <laughs> I think, you know, depending on the size of the project, uh, the work involved, um, you're, you're always going to want to negotiate your contracts, you know, review them see where the risk is is really being allocated whether it's you know 
in the changes clause in the site disclaimers clauses you you always want to review your contract to see what it was what what's going on there um but you know depending on the size of the 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 project the the scope of work the amount of risk involved you might not be making as many edits as you would where you know there's a lot of risk or it's it's a, a huge mega project so you really have to tailor your negotiations and um edits to to the specific instance or to the specific project um so the answer is yes definitely it just really is a question of how much you're going to negotiate you know how firm you're going to stand on on some of the issues and where the give and take is going to be got it and, and all of those are those are essentially organizational decisions right yeah, it, it's it's definitely there's a lot of business decisions involved. You know, as attorneys, as construction construction attorneys, we're going to advise you on where the risk is, and at that point, it's really up to the principals, to the to the owners, um, to the decision makers to determine how much risk they're willing to to take on at that point, and um, really where they want to push back. So yeah, cool. there, there is a lot of business decision making in, in contract negotiations. How much risk are you willing to take on? Even the types of projects that you're going after, it's different when you're negotiating a multifamily project versus a government contract or you know design build, like you said too. I'm sure all of that's totally different depending on what kind of protections you need. Your relationship with the the general contractor or owner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um, you and I have talked a little about it and I truly believe my philosophy is that construction is a business of relationships mm. and you're building on those relationships. You know, general contractors are going to have, you know, relationships with owners. Um, subcontractors are going to have relationships with uh, general contractors and there's got to be a collaborative approach to each project. You know, although it's not specifically labeled as a partnership, you should approach it that way. Um, the general contractors partnering with the owner to deliver a successful uh, project. And then the trade contractors are partnering with the general contractor to make that project um, come to fruition and, and make sure everybody's happy. And, you know, the same approach, you know, that's really has to be the starting point, in my opinion, to uh, bring about a successful project is when you're in the contract negotiations, when you're looking at that risk is, there's got to be a collaborative approach and a partnership where there is some give and take. Mm. You know, you, you've got to uh, listen to concerns and address those concerns and make sure that there's a fair or equitable risk sharing relationship or that everyone can uh, really deal with and, and live with. Mm. So, and that's all really good stuff. So let's imagine that you and I have a good relationship and you're a general contractor and I'm a subcontractor. Sure. and you send me your contract. Do you have any advice for me as I'm sending you comments and negotiating this agreement with you to preserve the relationship and to position myself as a collaborator with you rather than an adversary? Because again, we've talked about this too. I think a lot of people think I'm not supposed to negotiate contracts because that means I'm fighting with my client. And we've talked about that's not necessarily what that means so how how do i position myself as that collaborator instead of that adversary 
Yeah. So I, I think when, when you receive a contract in, you know, it, it's typically going to be a form. It's going to be something that's been prepared and has been used multiple times. And I think you need to look at that form as a starting point, a starting point for the negotiations where, you know, you need to take that and, and look what's fair, what's unfair, and then mm-hmm. develop your list of things that really need to be negotiated. And in terms of negotiations, in terms of preserving that relationship, I'd really recommend that you try to have a sit down, you schedule a meeting. Um, Matt, you posted something on LinkedIn the other day that in the construction industry, we really need to have people picking up the phone and, and working through issues rather than sending exactly. the, uh, the nasty email or the, the email that's really entrenched in a position. Yeah, pick up the phone, uh, set a meeting, try to work through these issues and, and get that collaborative approach going from the beginning. Um, you know, I, I always have the saying that, you know, take the poison out of the pen. Uh, try not to Love that. send, send the, uh, the email that's going to cause people to react um, in a negative way. So that's the first step is, is identifying the issues, what you can live with getting on the phone, setting a meeting and saying, look, this is this is going to be tough for us to handle. This is going to be tough for us to deal with. What can we do? And, you know, your attorney or in-house counsel or um, risk manager, they're going to have some um, some approaches that you can use that are, are fair and reasonable to to everyone involved and should be accepted. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll run through some basic things that you should start looking for in a contract. Yes, please. What I always start with is, is the statutory protections. So what I mean by that is, you know, you've got to look in your jurisdiction, whether you're operating in Maryland, DC, Virginia, and see what they say on the, the various contract clauses and, and how they interpret those clauses and what's allowed in that state, which first what's not allowed. So what I first go to is the payment clause. Um, most jurisdictions are going to have a payment statute, a prompt payment statute where payment has to be um, made within a certain amount of time. You know, for example, 10 days, seven days, 15 days, it's going to vary from jurisdiction. So you want to check that number one. Oftentimes I'll see a contract come in and it's going to have payment terms that are 30 days. Well, that's in violation of the statute. Wow. Um, and so you can immediately go back to whatever entity you're negotiating with and say, hey, here's the statute. It says I'm to be paid in seven days of your receipt of payment or whatever the statute says. Um, we need to abide by that. You really you really can't object to that. So, I mean, it, it's in law. Um, so <laughs> you kind of got to go with it. I'm sure you're going to touch on it. What, so how does that affect pay when paid? Sure. Yeah. So um, multiple jurisdictions are, uh, it's really a hot topic right now. I think it was addressed in one of the earlier episodes, but for example, in Virginia, they just uh, entered a prohibition on pay if paid clauses, um, that those are no longer enforceable in Virginia. And there's, there's various caveats to that, that, you know, I I could explain and go, go into, but, you know, you want to look for that as well. Is there a prohibition on a conditional payment clause, which makes the general contractor's condition 
you know, receipt of a payment will conditional to your receipt of payment. Um, and, you know, that, of course, flows down a, a subcontractor negotiating with a supplier in a jurisdiction where that's prohibited. Can't include that clause either. Um, so those are those are things that you want to check what your state statute says regarding payment. And then, you know, that's a starting point for the negotiation to try and tailor that payment clause to what is required. Awesome. Yeah. yeah awesome. Any other uh, couple of things that you want people to be looking for in their contracts, things they should be trying to negotiate? Yeah. The, the same thing is retainage. Um, mm. There's going to be re retainage statutes out there. You know, for example, um, you know, typically the typical is 10% in most jurisdictions. Um, Maryland, I believe is down to 5% at this point. Um, and then you just want to check that statute to see what retainage is to make sure you're getting as much money as you can in the door up front, rather than having to wait towards the end of the project. Um, a, a key thing I would, I definitely recommend you always look at is the site disclaimers. Um, and you're going to have to look, you know, various ways, various places. You're going to have to look in the specs. You're going to have to look in your mm -hmm. subcontract or, or contract. You're going to have to look at the drawings because there's going to be the site disclaimers basically littered throughout those, those contract documents and site disclaimers are generally an attempt to put on the contractor or, um, subcontractor more risk and more responsibility for picking up issues such as concealed conditions, different site mm. conditions. So I always, um, look for those as well when I'm negotiating the contract. Would that be even things like access, like you know, lay down space where you can put your materials on site if they're giving you 48 hours instead of a, a reasonable amount of time or if everything's got to be on carts or uh, if they're not providing you access, it's a tight site and you need a, a boom lift. Is it those kinds of things as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, access is often addressed in, in contracts and in specifications. Um, so you want to make sure you're looking out for that. And, you're and those are huge. That can cost you a ton of money if you're just not aware. Yeah, I mean, access issues, you know, on the topic of when a project gets derailed, you know, access is a huge issue. Um, and it, it can cause the planning and sequencing and, and can completely disrupt a schedule. So it's definitely something you want to plan for and look out for when you're in the contract negotiation stage. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and then the last you, you know, really tip is you, you absolutely want to look at the change order process and then the disputes provision. Those are definitely key contract clauses. And <clears throat> typically what I see um, negotiated in those types of clauses are the timing for submittal of a change order or submittal of a claim. You know, typically the uh, higher tier party is going to want to limit the amount of time. You know, I've seen two days, three days, 40, 48 hours. Whereas the, the lower tier party is going to want to have more time to be able to assess the, um, the change and put together the, the package and the supporting documents. So that's something typically that can be negotiated. That's really a business decision. You know, how much time am I going to need to provide notice of a claim and then ultimately submit my claim mm. with the reporting information? That's really um, good too. So, and, and then, you know, you'll, some of the things I'll typically see in a change order clause are, you know, if you don't submit within this time, 
your claim is waived. That's kind of a tough clause. So you want to look for those and um, see if those can be handled or, or dealt with. That's great advice because yeah, payment and change orders, probably things that we all deal with every day that are on this call, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. Those are, those are great. And I want to say one last thing, cause I think this is, this is a, a good anecdote for anybody that's listening to, and then we'll jump into projects going off the rails. But I was talking to a project exec one time and he was talking to a subcontractor who was negotiating an agreement with him. I think it was the owner of the business. And basically the, the owner of the subcontractor said to his client in this contract, you are asking me to be timely, professional, abide by rules and regulations, and in general, a good partner. Yep. But as you're telling me that you're also asking me not to negotiate the contract agreement, which would be a totally unprofessional thing of me to do. So just remember, everybody, you know, is a little extra kick in the butt that you are supposed to be that professional service provider like you are the business that you're running. And this is just, you know, a part of doing it and creating fair partnerships and collaboration. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Matt. I mean, it's you need to negotiate the contracts. You need to read them and understand them. You know, don't just flat out sign something under pressure. Exactly. Um, United, you, you know, depending on who you're negotiating with, you might not get as far as you want to, but at least let them know you're thinking of the issues and um, see if, see what you can come up with. That's a very good point too. So now, so now that's the nice uplifting thing. So now, now we're on a project and we're, we're recognizing it's going off the rails, which I think again, whether you're a sub or a GC, you've, you've seen it happen. What are some of the things that that you look for to know the job's going off the rails, Michael? And then maybe you can get into what you should be doing to protect yourself when you recognize that a job is going off the rails. Sure. So I think that the, the you're going to notice that a job is is going off the rails when the budget's getting out of control. You know, it's it's just getting exceeded. Um, the project management is is not you know going well you know the the documents aren't under control there's you know not a, a mm. good uh, a meeting schedule um people aren't communicating and working together and then you're going to notice that this there's a lot of schedule slippage i mean that's mm. probably obvi obvious but you know time and money those two things you're going to you see them slipping or increasing um, I think that's when you absolutely know you have a problem and um, need to figure out how to implement um, ways to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we started this conversation talking about contract negotiation and you've got to go back to your contract and, and see what it says on how to, to handle some of these issues. Um, <clears throat> You're right, because the, the idea is that you put the contract in a drawer and nobody ever looks at it again. But when does everybody look at the contract when there's problems? Correct. So it's, it's one of those things that now you're six months after you did the negotiation and maybe it was painful then. But now you're six months later and you're going, oh, thank goodness I got this clause in there. I got this modified. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the contract should be a live document. You should be looking at it every day, responding to 
of the issues. You know, when a change order comes up um, or a, a condition that was unexpected, unforeseen, you want to go to your contract and say, when do I have to, you know, submit my, my change order? When do I have to provide notice? When do I need to get my pricing in and supported documentation? And make sure you're, you're complying with that. You know, you don't want to be in a position where you've waived that or, you know, you failed to comply because that could ultimately, once you get to this disputes process, could be a, a hindrance to, to recovery. So you, you absolutely want to be working with that document or all the, all the contract documents on a regular basis. And, you know, I understand it, it from my position, you know, people are often, you know, they're out there building the project, but, you know, when you come back to the office or the job site trailer, make sure that you're, you're abiding by your, your contract. So would it be, would it be correct to say that when you recognize that there's time slippage and, and cost slippage and you're trying to, and, and it's not your fault, right? So let's, let's be clear about that too. You're no, it, it's not your fault as, as the general contractor or the subcontractor, there's something happening up the, the, the chain that's causing it, that the playbook for how to handle it, is actually the contract like that's that's what you're coming back to on how to respond to any of these issues that may be coming up that may be costing you money time resources or whatever absolutely yeah you want to make sure you have an avenue of recovery um that you can say look i'm experiencing these issues whether it's you know the result of a design error and emission a different site condition uh, weather concealed conditions um owner directed changes Mm. Yeah, that there's a wide array of issues that come up in a construction project that I, I think everybody on this call has experienced at one point in time. And it's, you know, you confront those issues and then you have an avenue to recover your costs and time for those issues. And you want to make sure you have that through your contract. If you don't, you know, it, it, it's tough to recover. Um, yeah. You're ultimately not likely not going to be able to. So you want to make sure you, you have that avenue of recovery and, and you're, you're following the, the process. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. And for my other, uh, for my less contract, fo contract focused people, maybe if we've got project managers or anything like that on the call, the other thing is document, send your emails. They can be kind. You don't have to make them mean and nasty, but you can say, we were here this day. This wasn't ready. Thank you. And I'm telling you that stuff will be worth its weight in gold when you get to the end of these jobs that have, you know, very uh, circumstantial conversations going on and you have this concrete evidence, you'll be really grateful you have it. Yeah, I mean, project document control is, is essential. Oh, and, you know, everybody, everybody <laughs> does it a little different. You know, some people have software. Um, some people just have a, a drive where they have it organized. But, you know, I, I cannot stress enough to you know, organize those documents, make sure they're complete and that you're establishing a project record that um, it really supports your, your case and supports your your positions. I think that's I think that's great. Well, we knew this was going to happen, but it's somehow already 927. So <laughs> I think we covered a lot of really good ground. Uh, are you OK with me bringing Stacy back on and, and getting some questions here, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Before I do that, I am just going to thank our sponsors really quickly. The first of which is Katz Abosh. Katz Abosh is a accounting firm with a deep expertise in construction. They serve the Baltimore and DC markets. They've got 
financial professionals that that know construction really well. Uh, and I'll give a quick shout out to Krista Hickman from Tats Abosh, who I'm, I sit on a board with. So hi, Krista. Thank you guys for uh, sponsoring the show. The second is Lawrence Law. Lawrence Law is a boutique law firm based in Baltimore that serves the Baltimore and DC metro area as well. I don't personally know Kate, but Chad mentioned to me that it seems like all she does is work with contractors. So apparently she's very active in ABC Baltimore as well. So thank you, Lawrence Law. And the last is Frisco Woodline. So Frisco Woodline is a specialty wood supplier. And this is going to be anything that's really that higher end aesthetic wood product that you would need for your projects. They even have a special services division that works with their mill and they have some painting capabilities that can do some really neat stuff that can uh, really help you when you're on that more aesthetic specialty side of the wood business. So thank you, Frisco Woodline as well. All right. <laughs> Hello, Stacy. Hi, great conversation. Um, <clears throat> I was just listening in. I think you pretty much covered most of the questions I was trying to generate and then you like hit them. So it was really great. The only thing I can think of is um, for a subcontractor, how do you become a better negotiator? What resources would you suggest for them to be more comfortable in having those negotiations and conversations. Yeah, I mean, there are, you know, classes you can take on, on general contract negotiation. Um, you know, I, I encourage you to check some of the industry, industry associations who might uh, put on various seminars on that or even a, a short talk, um, you know, one morning or what have you. You know, I, I often see where um, those industry associations will have events where you can sign up for and then attend and, and really understand some of the key contract clauses and um, become more familiar with them and more comfortable with them. Um, so that, that's a first step. And then, you know, kind of just by uh, reading, reading the contracts, um, becoming kind of familiar with some of the forms that are used, you know, whether it's a... Uh, AIA form or one of the other industry forms um, or, you know, having worked with general contractors before uh, becoming more familiar with their forms, um, whether it's a bespoke type agreement and just becoming comfortable as to where things are in those agreements and um, where you're going to you're going to see them and, and then ultimately how to apply those to the, the situations you're you're facing. And when you talked about projects getting off the rail, you talked about cost documents and the schedule. Would you say it's in that order or it could be either or what, like just warning signs? Like what is usually the first warning sign? Is it cost? I, I generally see um, you're going to see schedule slippage um, okay. and, and the, the schedule being pushed out or deadlines not being met, milestones not being met. And then I think with that, you know, it comes the costs. And it could be the result of inadequate planning, sequencing of the work. Um, you don't have enough manpower on the job. Um, or you're running into the various you know, unforeseen conditions or change order issues we've, we've talked about. And it's just pushing you out. And that's going to, you know, increase your general conditions, increasing your um, home office overhead, uh, field office overhead. And, so those costs are usually going to follow 
Um, but I, I think generally you're, first you're going to start seeing milestones not, not being met on a project. Is that when you can renegotiate the contract or how does that work if there's like an unforeseen, you know, condition? Um, typically, so you're not going to be able to um, negotiate the base contract again, um, the general terms and conditions you've agreed to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can seek change orders for the various issues that, that come up if, you know, you have entitlement to them under under the contract term and conditions. Okay. So. And that happens all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The change orders yeah. <laughs> happen all the time. No project is, is usually perfect. And there's going to be issues that come up and you're going to have to deal with them either through the change order or dispute process. And then we have a comment from Tom, but I'm not sure if we know what this is. Okay. Um, he said, I just have one very important comment. Always remember the RTFC. Do we know what that stands for? Or Tom, can you let us in? <laughs> I don't know if That's, I know RTFC. Yeah, me either. <laughs> well, sometimes there's a delay in the chat, but if we can get to that one. Um, but yeah, I think that's all the questions I have. Matt, do you have anything? I have one that might be hard to explain quickly, but I'm still going to ask it anyway because I'm interested. You talked earlier about doing some of the, the P3 and design build type agreements. I assume that you also would do like lump sum agreements versus like a CM at risk agreement. Would that be accurate to say? Sure. Yeah. I mean, all the types of contracts or, you know, risk management structures, project delivery methods we handle here at, at SiteFarth. So, you know, whether it's a lump sum agreement or a uh, guaranteed maximum price, a cost of the work plus with a GMP, yeah. we handle all those types of contracts. Can you just briefly, because I think probably the, the most of the general contractors and subcontractors we have on this call probably deal with either lump sum or the GMP structure. Can you just say how the contract is structured differently that and how that impacts the way that a general contractor interacts with the owner and how the subcontractor interacts with the general contractor. Is there a little more collaboration on one, a little more leeway, just kind of how the contract is structured that leads to how that trickles down to the rest of the project? Yeah, I think um, lump sum is, you know, what you're going to see in the, the general contractor to subcontractor relationship. Um, you're going to have a lump sum agreement and really it's the risk sharing there is that it's it's all in your price is your price you're supposed to be capturing everything whereas right. um with a, a cost of the work with a guaranteed maximum price there's more financial information that's being shared so while you do have a ceiling um you know i'm guaranteeing my price here you also have to substantiate your costs that you're um utilizing on the project and the owner is going to be able to, to see those costs if they want to uh, through some of the audit provisions. So it, I think it's more of a transparent process there. Whereas within the lump sum, you know, you don't typically have to uh, substantiate your costs. It is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm guaranteed this amount uh, for the work, but it, the downside is you're taking on more risk, more risk, more reward. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, great. I think that was awesome. 
Well, I think this was really great, Michael. You helped me survive. And uh, I think you gave us a lot of really good information and everybody listening a lot of really good information. So thank you so much for being here. It was seriously great talking to you. No problem. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Stacy. Yeah, thanks. Have a great day. See you, Michael. And as Tom said, read the freaking contract. Oh, that that is very good advice. RFTC. (laughs) All right, Tom, I'll work that into my my (laughs) vocabulary too. Um, Stacey, we got just a little bit of cleanup to do. Why don't you tell everybody who we got on the huddle next week? Yeah, I'm super excited to have my friend and guest, Jason Blackwell. Um, He's from Alabama. We're going to talk about crafting excellence, mastering the trades and the classroom. I know Careers in Construction Month is coming up in October. Um, Jason was a grand prize winner for a CTE instructor and now works for the Department of Education in Alabama and oversees all of their CTE. Um, He is a true renaissance man. This guy is one of the most interesting guys I've ever met. He's always working on different projects and he's, he's super not involved on social media. So I'm super happy that he's a guest and honored. Um, He does so many incredible things that we're not seeing. And I'm always encouraging him, like, you're one of those people that needs to be posting. You're such a huge, you know, inspiration. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. His stories are incredible. Um, Yeah, so that's who we have on next week. And if you, um, just a reminder to email us at stacyh at steeltoe.com, C-O-M-M.com. if you want to get on our email list and I just saw a question, CT is career technical education. So thank you for pointing that out. I hate to use acronyms. I always try to spell them out for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's tr- any trades. Jason is a mill rate. So he had, he has dabbled in everything. Um, so we'll talk awesome. a lot about, yeah, career technical education. You got me fired up for that. and as stacy said email her to get added to the mailing list i'm also sure people can send you a message on linkedin if if they want to i'm sure that works don't forget we stream live every tuesday at 9 a.m it will typically be chad and stacy not me so unless you really like seeing me and then you can message chad and tell me don't need to do this anymore (laughs) and then last thing is these all get posted to apple Podcasts, spotify Mm -hmm. and youtube after the after we're finished with them so you can check them out there Seriously, Stacy, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for filling in and and giving my partner a break. We all need a break. He deserves it. He deserves (laughs) it. He did a great job. Thanks, Stacey. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, everybody, for being here. See ya. See ya.